It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel. Powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. On the web at lck-law.com. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. We have Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory joining us today. Of course, another great program lined up for you. And we will be getting to listener questions. As always, you can submit your questions by giving us a call at 574-222-2000. Or you can actually go ahead and, uh, by the way, you got to leave that on the voicemail. But you can also go to wisemoneyradio.com, listen to previous shows, and leave your question right there on the forum on the website. So, Mike, we're going to be talking about investments today. Now, this is the thing that actually pushed the markets last year in 2015. So what are you guys thinking are going to be some themes for investments in 2016? Well, we're, we're going to get into that. But if you've been listening to the show, this is the Wise Money Show. And we haven't spent a ton of time or we haven't had a ton of episodes devoted just to investments. But that's what we're going to be doing today. And why? I wonder why is that? Investments are a very important component of someone's overall financial plan, right? But it's not its not the financial plan. And investments in the media or really in discussion with friends gets a disproportionate amount of attention. When you're talking about finances, it's just almost romanticized as how investments can help you and so on. So they're important, right? But they're not the most important. An example is I've got a, a good friend who's a client who all the time, and, and we do financial planning with them, but almost every appointment, he comes in and we're talking about investments, and he's curious about how Sirius Radio's doing or Apple Stock's doing and these other things. However, for his plan, he needs to be saving about a 1000 bucks a month in order to reach his goals that he and his wife have said are important. But right now, they're only saving about 100 bucks a month. And so even if Sirius Radio or a- Apple Stock just is the perfect silver bullet investment, it's not going to make up that gap. So it, so hear me when I say, I mean, investments are extremely important and you need to be very careful and diligent about how you invest. But it, it, it's not the, you know, the most important thing in getting and having financial success. It seems to be the thing that most people think of, though, when they think of a financial advisor. Uh, you know, they're really referring to an investment advisor most of the time. And we've said from the very beginning, our very first show, that this is a show about financial planning as a whole. So hopefully, um, you know, even though we're going to talk about the markets and how the investment world did last year, uh, hopefully we can pull out um, of our brains some of the principles that investors or uh, families out there need to be focused on. And try to reveal how investments fit in the grand scheme of things when it comes to financial planning. Yeah. Investment planning is one of the six areas of financial planning. Investment planning is not financial planning. That's right. So what what exactly happened in the markets in 2015? It really wasn't the best year for the markets at all. So Kevin, why don't you break down what happened in the markets last year? If I was going to summarize 2015, I would say that in 2015, the markets were violently flat and we saw some incredible increases in uh, the markets and decreases. And really, uh, the market ended up pretty well flat. And so a lot of times people talk about the market. So let's just talk about the Dow. It was down 2.2%. And and people say, what's the Dow? The Dow is just 30 
uh, significant stocks that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and it was invented by Charles Dow in 1896. So when people say, well, what's the market doing? And they talk about the Dow, and, and that's the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's just 30 stocks, so it's not all of the market, but it is. it does actually give a fairly good representation. Well, it's almost more tradition is the reason why it's reported on the news every evening, right? It's just been what everyone's been tracking for so long. But I'm glad that you point out that it's only 30 stocks. Out of the thousands of stocks in the U.S. here, they're talking about 30. So does the Dow Jones Industrial Average really represent the overall stock market? Not in our opinion. So no. I'm sure you're going to probably hit some of the other uh, indices that we do track, right? Sure. Well, if you if you listen to the radio, uh, you'd hear about the Dow, and then you'd hear about the S&P, so the S&P 500. And it's, it is it is interesting to me because when you look at the Dow, the Dow is at 16,500 and the S&P is at 1,900 in some. So when people say, well, the, the Dow was up 10 points and the S&P was up 10 points today, if you don't know the context, that doesn't mean anything. Right. You're almost yeah. baited into thinking the Dow is bigger because the index, uh, how they report the value is bigger. But S&P 500, how many companies is that? That's not a trick question. I am going to go with 333. <laughs> You'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. So that's 500 of the largest companies in the U.S. where the Dow is only 30. So a better representation of what the true market is, is the S&P 500. But even that's limited because that's just 500 companies. Right. And it's really meant to just kind of reflect the characteristics of the large cap universe. Right. So what did the S&P 500 do last year? It was down seven tenths of a percent. So that's 0. 0.7. Z- 0.7. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Testing your math skills there. <laughs> Move that That wasn't point. a trick question either. Or a trick crowd. What Mike said. So I, I like to think in terms of basis points, but that's kind of, this is a jargon-free that's zone. jargon. Yeah. Basis points are jargon. But if you said 1% is 100 basis points, you'd say it was down 70 basis points. Yeah. So that was the S&P. International investments were down, Kevin, 0.8. One. So they were down 0.81. Did you say they were down about 80 basis points? <laughs> and then emerging markets, that was the headline. We're going to talk about the, the big headlines from last year in a moment. But but emerging markets were down 16% last year. So right, Casey, you said not really a great year in no. investing. Not really. In fact, 2015 is on the heels, of course, of, of 2014. 2014 wasn't that great either. If you were just focused on the Dow, which we just said is dangerous because that's only large U.S., you were up maybe double digits. But international was down in 2014. Emerging markets were down. So a balanced portfolio the last couple of years has really done nothing. It's made a lot of investors frustrated. Us too, frustrated. Well, I was going to say the, the only thing it has accomplished is making people really discouraged because you, you, you know, most investors they understand that there are going to be up years and down years, good years, bad years. But when you start stringing multiple years together, it gets frustrating. It gets a little disenchanting for a lot of investors. And uh, hopefully, we can kind of cut through some of that because the real risk, if if you look back over the past couple of years and you're just kind of feeling blah about investments, the risk is that if you don't understand what the short-term themes are that have been driving the markets, you may misinterpret what your next actions should be with your investments. And so that's that's one of the reasons why I'm excited that we're hitting this topic today. Hopefully we can educate people and uh, help them think through what those next actions should be. Can we also like pause for a moment just because we give we gave, you know, the overall, this is what happened in the year for 2014 and 2015, and it wasn't good. In fact, they're down. They're, they're basically flat, but they're down just very slightly. This is the reason that when you're out there in the audience, whether you're watching television or you're listening to radio, it is very important that you leave politics out of your finances 
Because if you listen to the Democrats over the past year, the stock markets are, are the best that they have ever been. This has been an amazing year for growth. It was the same thing in 2014. If you listen to Republicans, buy gold, everything is going to die. We're all going to go down. And eventually the Fed and, and interest is, is inflation. Everything's going to come back to, uh, to haunt us. So it's very important to use the real numbers and stop listening to the politics of this because everybody's trying to spin it to their benefit. The reality is they were basically flat, slightly down. Yeah. So the world didn't end. But it also wasn't great either. Now, there were periods, and that's why Kevin said violently flat, because there were periods where it shot up and then we'd come in you know, two days later and it was right back down yeah. again. Uh, so just do your best to leave politics out of that and just actually go by the actual numbers and listen to the professionals who are monitoring this uh, on a regular basis. So what economic factors really drove the markets in 2015, though? Josh, what were uh, the major markets from last year? And do we expect there to be a difference in 2016? Well, I think if we were to recount some of the big headlines or the big topics that we were talking to our clients about throughout the year, if we went in chrono chronological order, and I just throw these out there and maybe we can uh, break them down together. But um, to me, the markets didn't start bad. They ended poorly, but the first few months of the year, things were, were doing pretty well. And there came a point in the late, or late uh, spring rather, when China started to have influence on our market. And it was because their stock market, which had really ballooned into quite a bubble of speculation and uh, over-investing, really, it, it burst. And that started a drag on our performance. Then we went into Greece was popping back in the headlines after a number of years. China's economic slowdown, separate from its stock market drop, uh, became an issue in the fall. And then uh, you move into a stretch of several months where we were talking a lot about whether the Fed was going to raise interest rates here in this country. So the, the Fed was having an impact long before they actually took action at the end of the year. And those were some of the, the major issues that I saw driving. Many of them have been resolved. Others are still having an impact, though. And I'm sure in our next segment, we'll be uh, maybe breaking some of those down together. Yeah, the Fed's catching a lot of flack right now. People are saying that, that they shouldn't have raised interest rates, and that has caused some of the decline that we've seen recently. Do you guys agree with that or no? I, th I think it's more, if, if, if I was going to look at two things, I'd probably say what's happening in commodities, especially with the price of oil. And then I'd also say what happened with the, with the Chinese stock market. And if you go back to June of 2014, their stock market, for all intents and purposes, was at, let's just say, 2000. And by the end of the year, it was at 3200. So you're up almost uh, a little over 50%. I'd take that. Yeah, so Chinese, and if you look at the graph, it, it took off again in February and went almost straight up again. And so you say, well, what would I tie that to? I tie that to the Chinese New Year. And what happened at the Chinese New Year parties is people got together and they said, what have you been up to? How's your family, Casey? And you say, well, my, my family's okay, but I'll tell you what, my investments are amazing because I'm up over 50% in the last six months. So I go home from the party and I say, well, I've got to get some of that action. Yeah. So I do. And so Kevin, Mike, and Josh go and invest because Casey's killing it out there. And we're, we start borrowing from our investments to buy more investments. Yes. Also known as margin in a jargon-free zone. So in f f from February to, to May, the mar their market goes from 3200 to 4600 So it, it is basically just headed straight for the moon. And then in May, at the peak, it turns and it has a pretty tumultuous drop. Well, and I know we're going to break here, but the last thing I would interject here is that there's an important lesson that all of us can learn from the Chinese stock market speculative bubble that was created last, uh, well, over the past year and a half. 
And that is, I mean, you, you have a, a government that has been encouraging people to go invest on margin, borrowing money to invest in the stock market, trying to prop things up, get some stimulus going. But these people have never invested before. Many of them are uneducated. And uh, there were millions and millions of new stock market accounts opened in the first quarter of 2015. In China. In China. Yeah. In China. So these are, are folks who are coming out of um, a, a lower income class. They're joining the middle class. They've got money for the first time. They don't really know what to do with it. And they're, they're being encouraged by their government to speculate and invest in something they don't fully understand. And they are savers. And there's a huge difference between someone who's a saver and someone who's an investor, because it takes a, a bunch of different components to be an investor than to just be a saver. Absolutely. You're listening to Wise Money with Core and Financial Group. We are talking investments for this coming year, 2016. Of course, January is off to a very interesting start with the markets as well. We'll get to that as well as listener questions a little bit later on. Once again, Wise Money with Core and Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I want to remind you that if you have a question for the guys at Corhorn Financial Group, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 574-222-2000. You can also go to our website, wisemoneyradio.com, and submit your question there. So we talked about 2015. Now, we're in January a little bit here in 2016. And the major market themes that have started to emerge have been a little bit interesting. So what type of influence on the markets are we looking at with some of these themes in 2016? I think the the one that I'd start with is overall commodity prices in oil. And if you would have said back in, gosh, 2000, was it 2007 when we were paying four bucks at the pump? I can't remember. 2008, we're paying four. I paid $4.28 a gallon. Wouldn't you have said, if you had the time machine and went back and visited yourself and said, hey, you're going to pay half of this for gas in the future, you would have just thought, oh, the economy must be doing great. People would have so much money to spend. And now here for the past year, we've seen that as oil prices have really dropped through the floor and no idea, just tons of speculation how low they'll go, that that's actually creating a drag on the economy. But I, I think we'll, we'll see that continue to be in the headlines a lot and moving markets a lot as we go through 2016. And for those of you who have missed it, you know, while oil is going down, of course, we're all like, oh, that's awesome. Of course, we heard the State of the Union, the president said, hey, $2 a gallon of gas isn't bad either. Uh, but at the same time, in fact, the same day that the State of the Union address was, BP laid off a bunch of people. Yep. We're starting yeah. to see oil companies all over the United States and the world firing people and laying them off as a result of the low price of gas. So there's a give and take there. Yeah, BP laid off 4,000 people yesterday, and Chevron is laying off 7,000 people. Some of the largest companies on the planet are having huge contractions here, and we're talking about some major, almost probably permanent changes to that industry. Well, one of the things we've been watching for the past year or so is what's going to happen to all these uh, shale uh, oil producers. And, you know, the, the price gets down to a, a level that they can't even produce at this level. In other words, their costs are higher yeah. than what they're getting for, for price and sales. Um, you, you know, you can't do that for very long. And we've seen that in the past too, with shale in particular, because it's not exactly the cheapest thing in the world to extract shale. So yeah. they, they have shut down for, you know, yeah. a year or two in order to go ahead and get the price back up before they start operating again. 
And the big problem with that is all of the lend, uh, all of the borrowing that they've done right. in order to prove up these reserves and get it out of the ground. And so we're looking at big defaults on those loans. Yep. Those payments still have to be made whether you're out there producing and selling or not. I mean, you can shut down the actual production for a little while, but the loan payments are still due. So that's a that's a real threat. And some people are concerned that it could be a catalyst that sparks some kind of uh, real negative uh, outcome in our overall economy as well. But, uh, you know, one of the other themes, though, that it began in 2015 and is continuing on in 2016, most would believe, is that the Fed has started the process of raising interest rates. They raised them one time in December, but uh, you know, they've kind of been broadcasting to the markets that that wasn't an isolated event. It's going to be a slow, steady uh, process that they go through. Meanwhile, other uh, central banks around the world, many of them are doing the opposite, yeah. actually lowering, lowering interest rates. And this could be an important theme to be watching uh, throughout this year because it creates differences in investment opportunities around the globe. I think there's going to be a lot of money in motion seeking out where can I get the best bang for the buck, the best yield or, or interest rate on my safe money. That that points to one other theme that I'm not, we're not predicting here. We're just, we're just talking about what's happening. But for the past few years, U.S. markets, U.S. stocks have really outperformed international stocks. And Josh, listening to you say that makes me wonder again, well, will that happen again in 20, in 2016? They're both about the same right now in January. But Right now, the past few years, because U.S. has outperformed, as we're sitting down with, with clients, they come in and really that's all they want. They look and say, my international investments have drugged down my performance. Get rid of those things. I don't want them. When just a few years ago, U.S. investments hadn't been positive for 13 years. And so no one wanted those. I actually went back. Uh, again, you guys all know I'm a nerd. I, I did a little research on this before the show. And in the last 20 years... Do you know how many times the U.S. markets have beat the international markets? Again, two. It, it, yeah. two? You, so the U.S. has beat international three out of the last four years. Almost but in the past 20, it's dead even. Oh, dead even. Dead even. Hmm. So half the time international outperforms U.S., the other half vice versa. And so, but, you know, there, there are some systemic big issues. I think that was jargon. Uh, just some big issues happening internationally, and it'll be interesting to see if international is outshined by U.S. stocks again this year. And let's let's not forget too, when the Fed rose interest rates, that minuscule, incy, beansy <laughs> yeah. you know, amount, big impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that could be very well a theme for 2016 that we're going to have to watch with other other central banks lowering interest and the U.S. gravitating towards raising interest. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the big idea about market themes and predictions for what 2016 will bring. And I was just looking yesterday, the Royal Bank of Scotland came out and said, sell everything. So you have that on one end of the spectrum, sell everything except high-grade bonds. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, well, if everyone went out and sold everything, those high-grade bonds, it wouldn't be long until they were junk bonds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it is interesting to look at what the, what the really smart people who write about these things say. And I like to look at it at the beginning of every year and at the end of the year, see how incredibly wrong folks are <laughs> that are paid to just give us their opinions. And I've read opinions that this could be a breakout year and a fantastic year yeah. and everything else. So it, it there's no real way to know. We will know a year from now, we will know who is right. But as, a, as we stand here today, 
quite honestly, we have no idea. Isn't that interesting, though? I mean, we, we could today do a Google search and find all kinds of those examples that you were just referring to of people who predicted one thing and the exact opposite is how 2015 shook out. And yet we keep going back to them and seeking their opinion every single year. Right? It's like that cult leader who says, hey, the world's going to end on this date. And then yeah. it doesn't. And he goes, okay, now I got my Just year wrong. It's going to be next year on this day. And they keep coming back for 10, 20 years. Right. Well, the, the problem is that for as long as mankind has been strutting our stuff on this planet, you know, we have been seeking out the opinion of fortune tellers and people who claim to be able to see around corners and tell us what the future is. And so much of it is driven by our fear or sometimes in the market, our greed looking for ways to either protect ourselves from something scary out there in the future or try to capitalize on some big opportunity before anybody else picks up on it. And it's just foolishness. At the end of the day, you know, no one knows the future. No one has the crystal ball. And even the themes that we're laying out here today, most of them are just a continuation of what was already happening, right? And so to, to me... The message I guess I would hope that all of our listeners would have, certainly all of our clients would have, is that you need to be structuring your investments according to what your goals are for the long term and not what one year might hold for you. It sounds a little bit like you guys are rejecting the notion that I'm hearing floating around the financial sectors, as goes January, so goes the year. Yeah, I, I would. I You know, the, we are not in the business of making predictions. And a lot of people think that, oh, you're in finance and you invest people's money, you must be really good at making predictions. No, that's not our that's that's not our business. It's helping people reach their financial goals. And if the stock market has a bad year or goes down, yep, that's not helping you reach your financial goals. Yeah, but if you participate and work through those down years so that you've got the potential for the gains and all of that that can come over the long term, that is helping you reach your goals. So what, what Josh just said, I, I would reiterate that, yeah, make sure that you're taking the right amount of risk that is suitable for you, so appropriate. So you're going to stay on that ride, but that also gets you towards your goals. That's what you need to make sure of right now, not trying to figure out, well, should I overweight this, underweight this based on what people are saying or what's happening in January? No, have the right risk for your tolerance, but for your goals as well. We have a couple more things to address in the program, and then we're going to get to listener questions. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Hey, good morning. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I'm Casey Hendrickson. Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory from Corhorn Financial Group are joining me today. If you have a question for the guys, you can leave a voicemail at 574-222-2000. You can also go to wisemoneyradio.com and leave a question right there on our website, as well as listen to previous episodes that might be of a topic that you're interested in. So we're talking about investments in the uh, 2016 calendar year. So guys... A lot of uncertainty. We've established that the premise that as goes January, so goes the year in the financial world is probably not accurate because everybody makes their predictions in January. By December, almost everybody is wrong. So with all of this uncertainty, how should people be positioning their portfolio? I, you know, we kind of left the last segment with what I would suggest, guys. I'm going to let, I wonder what you guys would say, but just have the right balance and make sure that your investments are still diversified. I would not, I would strongly urge you not to abandon 
the international investments or other investments that haven't performed well lately, but that are still worthwhile long-term, don't abandon those. Stick with balance. It might be a good time to do a new risk tolerance questionnaire. So assess your risk, your comfort level, because it's going to be important that you are on, you're at a risk level that, again, you'll participate in, that you'll, that you're willing to ride through. And it's one that will also help you get to your goals. Well, I'm glad you started there, Mike, because I think 2015 and the start of 2016 has been a wake-up call for a lot of people because we've seen volatility or the, the, the choppiness of the markets coming back into play more than uh, maybe some of the prior years. So, uh, you know, being, being aware that volatility or risk in your investments is a very real thing and you need to make sure that you're structured right. Um, speaking of that, you know, if you look back on 2015, there were a handful of unbelievable high-flying stocks last year, just a few. And everything else was either down or kind of mediocre or whatever. And the, the risk would be that you become tempted to become some sort of a, a stock jockey yourself, um, going out and picking individual stocks as opposed to entrusting dollars to maybe a mutual fund manager who can really spread the dollars around. They're a professional. They can do research and uh, hopefully formulate a, a intelligent opinion on what a company can do. So don't be tempted. Don't be lured into individual stocks at a time when, quite frankly, stocks could be, on an individual basis, very risky. Yep. And I, I think another thing that you'd want to do is rebalance so you can take a look at things. Right now, with the, the as the market has gone down, it's kind of fallen right out of the gate in 2016, what people are tempted to think is what the market is doing this moment or today on my way home from work, I listen to the radio, the market's down, and I, th- and I just project that forward and think that's going to continue. And, and so what you really want to do is try and have put a long-term view on your long-term money. So short-term, a short-term disruption to your long-term progress, um, it really shouldn't slow you down. As a matter of fact, um, if you're going to do anything, you may want to just high-five your spouse or the guy next to you at work and say, hey, this is great. This is a buying opportunity and we're going to buy through this thing. So Mike, what should people take away as the action item from today's show? Uh, I, I would add what I started with and that is investments as a component of your overall financial plan gets a disproportionate amount of attention. And I would argue that it shouldn't. Now you do have to make wise investing decisions and have the right balance, the right mix. But there's a lot more to it. If you want overall financial success and want to reach your goals, it's much more important than just having than having the perfect or pursuing the perfect investment strategy, I would say, that isn't even possible to achieve. So take heed of your overall financial condition, what your goals are, and revisit that and how a prudent investment strategy can help you reach those goals. I love that phrase, prudent investment strategy. It's it's one that's leaning on principles as opposed to emotions. And, and that might be one of the principles that I would share is that uh, you, you shouldn't let emotion be the number one driver of your investment decisions. Uh, we, we've all heard and seen that fear and greed are the two strong polar opposite uh, emotions that drive the markets to... Uh, levels that are too high and make us prone for a big drop or levels that are too low and create great opportunities for those who are willing to charge in when everyone else is running for the hills. So emotion is probably the public enemy number one when it comes to making wise investment decisions. 
And so this might be the year, if you haven't done it already, to find a coach, find a financial advisor who can help you um, cut through those emotions, help uh, hold you accountable to not getting yourself uh, worked up too much. And, and I would also reiterate what Kevin said there in passing about uh, the, the principle of not being too short-term in your outlook if you have a long-term goal. Long-term goals should not be re-evaluated on a daily or a weekly basis as so many people are, are, are often doing. They work themselves into an emotional frenzy because they're watching their long-term investments too closely. And of course, if you're looking for that coach, you're looking for that advisor, somebody to hold your hand through all of this in 2016, we know a couple of good guys over at corhorn.com. That's Only corhorn a couple. with a K. Just a couple. So, so which of the two are you uh, pointing out here? Eh, it's a new year. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would add guys and gals. Yeah, that's right. That's We've cool. got a whole team. A whole team. You bet. So. And multiple floors and everything. Yep. So very good group of people. Corhorn.com. That's corhorn with a K. What's the office number again, guys? Five seven four two four seven five eight nine eight. All right, we have arrived at that portion of the show where we go to listener questions. Want to remind everybody: if you have a question for the guys of Wise Money, you can give them a call, leave a voicemail at five seven four two 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 thousand. You can also go to wisemoneyradio.com, submit the question there. Follow us on Facebook as well. Cindy from South Bend, my husband and I are just starting out financially. We aren't sure where to start. I know it's important to start early, but what should we do first? Can I lead with a nerdy answer? Oh, that's never stopped me before. I guess I'll just... It comes naturally. <laughs> yeah, huh? Lead on, All right, oh so, nerd. So here's what you should do, Cindy. Sit down with your husband and have a very candid, real discussion about what your guys' financial goals are. Okay? And write those down. Write down your financial goals. Then build a budget that helps you or, or kind of directs your dollars towards achieving those goals. And then stick to that budget. And then finally... Seek out a professional, as we say so often on this show. I, I don't want to continue to beat that drum, but seek out a professional who might show you some financial goals you should be pursuing that you didn't think of and can help you allocate those dollars to those goals so that you have the right patterns and habits in your financial life. That's, a, that's where I would start. Write down your goals, build a budget to help you achieve those goals, and tune into a professional to help make sure you're aiming at the right target. Is that the order you would recommend them in? No, not necessarily. Because I would have said, get a financial advisor first. And I'm, I'm sure that maybe sounds... You're a financial advisor, I Josh. know, I'm a little biased. But, you know, to me, if you're just getting started, you need someone to coach you through the conversations and the decision-making process, help you cover the things that, you know, you need to be focused on in life and maybe guide some of those uh, goal-setting decisions. Not that, you know, a married couple can't do it on their own, but... Uh, sometimes walking through a process and having accountability, I think is, is good. But I love the fact that you are hitting the budget because that's going to drive a lot of the conversation about priorities together. If, if, uh, Cindy and her husband are just kind of getting started together, it sounds like maybe they're newlyweds or something, um, to talk through not just the merging of bank accounts and credit cards and other assets and things, but merging their values and their goals into one prioritized list. Uh, to, to me, that's what a financial advisor can help coach you through. We got more listener questions coming up. Once again, want to remind you, you're listening to Wise Money with Core and Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel. Powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. On the web at lck-law.com. 
Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Wise Money with Corn Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Again, I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson, Kevin Corn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory joining me. We're at the portion of the show where we're doing listener questions. Again, you can submit your question via voicemail at 574-222-2000 or on wisemoneyradio.com. Tom from Granger. My company offers a 401k but doesn't match. Should I even put money in there or should I do something else? I think we need to define what that something else might be, what those other options that Tom might consider uh, may be. Most likely, if you're not going to contribute to a 401k at work, you're going to use an IRA or a Roth IRA on your own separate from work. So if you ask the question, should I contribute to a 401k without a match to incentivize me or just use my own plan separate from work, to me, the answer is it depends. It depends on what tax bracket you're in, because the the higher the tax bracket you're in, the, the more income you have, the bigger the incentive there is to use a 401k at work because of the tax savings that you get this year. So so that's one influencer on, on what the right answer might be. But also, how much do you need to contribute? A 401k gives you a much bigger bucket that you can throw money into each year than what an IRA or a Roth IRA would be. And then thirdly, and, and maybe even most importantly, what investment options do you have available inside the 401k? And uh, it is the big issue because you're going to be limited inside that 401k to whatever uh, list of mutual funds or uh, annuity uh, investment options you have available that you're uh, your employer chose for you or with their advisor they chose for you. And there seems to be kind of a trend in the 401k industry as a whole, that this belief that we should limit the number of options you have to choose from so that uh, the employees don't get overwhelmed and therefore are less likely to participate. So they limit the, the number, keep it streamlined, thinking, well, we'll get more people saving. But I hate that idea. It's yeah. dumb. That it is it really is. It, we're, we're opposed to it. We would much rather see an employer put a very robust 401k in plan or 401k plan in place, spit it out there, um, and have an actual advisor or someone who can coach the employees on how to make good investments there. So outside of the 401k, you've got the whole world to choose from when it comes to IRA and Roth IRA investments. You could choose mutual funds or stocks and bonds and everything. And I would encourage Tom to find an advisor who can uh, not only evaluate the 401k investment options and compare them to what his choices would be outside of that plan, um, but but someone just to kind of coach him along and help him make that decision individually. Yeah. Tom, if we had to answer the question, my company offers a 401k but doesn't match, and that's all we know, It's it really is about all we know. There's there's something more. But I would say yes, Absolutely put money into the 401k at work. And if you said why, because the 401k is such an easy way to invest and accumulate wealth. And and when you look at the, the obstacles to investing or to saving, when it comes right out of your check and goes right in the 401k, it's so easy. And I would dare say you really aren't going to miss it. So that's a great way to get started. And you can say, okay, well, if I started this year with 5%, Next year, I go to 6% and I get up to where I'm saving about 15% of my pay. And it's, it's really, um, that's a really easy way to get saving the right amount of money. And I would agree with Josh, this, this does look at the other areas of your financial lifetime. So you'd look at your income tax planning and retirement planning and whatever else. But I think that if you can have the habit of saving 
where it's really easy and there aren't barriers to doing it, I would, I'd be all for it. Especially if you have the option at work to contribute to a Roth 401k. They're, they're relatively new and uh, many employers are adding that feature to their existing plans. So if you can stuff money into a retirement plan systematically, just like Kevin was describing, but do it on an after-tax basis, if you're in a lower income tax bracket, what a beautiful thing to let that account grow tax-free forever. I love it. Deanna from Granger says, I got remarried two years ago. We do not have a will. What is the next right step to get something in place? You guys know we've got a sponsor of the show, and we even had one of the attorneys from that sponsor on in the last episode, uh, Mark Crenitti from Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. I'd give them a call. And they're really great educators and helping you talk through what the choices are. Deanna, you mentioned you got remarried. Gosh, doing an estate plan in a blended family is almost complicated enough that you just don't even want to do it. And, huh. and so you, you might mm-hmm. just say, God, it'd be easier to not do this. Likelihood of something happening, yeah, I'll risk it. No, don't. It's so important. I've had people cry in front of me as we get through the will and the estate planning process. They just cry because of the peace that they have knowing that things are all buttoned up and they're all taken care of and they've got everything in order. Uh, not everyone, but I've had a handful of people get emotional when that's done. And on a second marriage, yeah, just sit down with the right attorney. We love Mark and his team over at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. But sit down with the right attorney, with with your husband, talk through the nuances of the blended family, get the right structure in place. It's time. Two years, yeah, you, you need something set up. Well, and if you think through the risks, if you don't get it done. Uh, last week on our, our show when we were talking about estate planning, uh, Mark referred to the fact that if you pass away without a will in place, without doing this this hard estate planning work, the state of Indiana has what we call intestacy laws in place. Bless you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it, they, they basically have an estate plan for you automatically. And the risk is that if you pass away and you haven't designated who you want your stuff to go to, uh, you know, your surviving spouse, your second spouse may receive dollars and you could inadvertently disinherit any kids that you may have or just have an overall mess on your hands that's totally unnecessary if you're willing to do the hard work up front. And Deanna, at the very least, I would go and double check all of your beneficiary designations. So just make sure that wherever you want what you have right now, wherever you want that to go when you when you leave this earth, that it's uh, contractually done correctly uh, via beneficiary designations. That's especially important if uh, it's a divorce situation, right? You don't want the sure. uh, ex-spouse to be listed necessarily unless they have to be because of a divorce decree and, and young kids or something. Also, Deanna, I want to remind you that if you go to wisemoneyradio.com, you can actually listen to the estate planning episode that aired on 95.3 MNC last week. You can actually listen to the podcast. We're also on iTunes and uh, I believe Podbean. So you can go right there to Wise Money Radio and listen to that podcast. Get some more information, too, before you seek out the, that attorney. Alex from Mishawaka, this is a great question because this is always a debate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. What's sure. your opinion on buying a new car versus a used car? Of course, a new car has a lower interest rate, but obviously costs more. A used car is a lower cost, but a higher interest rate. So any suggestions for Alex? Well, Alex, I would say depending on how used that car is, you may not be able to be an Uber driver. So you hey, might. That's I your Ubered, dream in, in life. Sometimes you need to subsidize those payments, you know? I Ubered last week. I'm still alive. I'm calling that a success. <laughs> I think that's a, that is a great question. I just uh, was talking to a client this morning, 
and they just retired and just got the 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 dream truck, the bucket leather seats and that are air conditioned and heated and all of these safety features. So when you look at why would I buy a new vehicle versus a used vehicle, you can make the case uh, for a new vehicle with some of the safety things and technology things they have. They have Wi-Fi in these new trucks. It's, it is amazing. And it's, it's tempting to look and say, hey, I need a new car. But what I would tell uh, Alex is don't look at, at the, necessarily the features of these vehicles. Look at your budget and say, what do I have? How much have I accumulated to spend on a vehicle? And that's where I would start. Yes, I mean, what you're hitting on is maybe a third option because the way he presented this question is, do I borrow money for a used car or do I borrow money for a new car? Why does it have to be one of those two options? Interesting. Right? Don't, don't take yeah. the sucker's choice on this one. An option is buy a used car cash. That's the one that we're going to preach every single Saturday morning on this show. Um, you know, save up ahead of time. You know when your car is going to die, roughly. You know how many miles are racking up on that thing. It's dying a slow, painful death one mile at a time. And it's going to go, and you need to be planning ahead. If you can plan ahead, then you can save ahead for it. So pay cash. Um, don't don't even take one of these options, in my opinion. All right, Alex, I'm going to go to bat for you. You don't have the option to pay cash. Which one is better, buying new at a lower interest or buying used at a lower price? I always go used. 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 If, if you're okay. forcing me into a corner, I always say used. you got to give the guy an option. He asked you a question. Okay. He, yeah, may it, not, he, he may not he may have the cash. Into... Maybe he needs a car. Maybe he's moving away from home or something. Who knows? I mean, That's true. Well, and I would say, Alex, who's the car for? If it's for you, definitely used. If it's for your wife, um, then you might want to look at a new one. Perfect. Very good, good political answer right there. You never know. See, Alex, I went to bad for you. All right, folks, of course, if you want to leave any questions for the Wise Money crew, you can go ahead and go to wisemoneyradio.com. Deanna, please listen to last week's episode on estate planning and then go ahead and get that in order. Please do that. And also, you can contact the guys over at Corhorn Financial Group at corhorn.com. That is Corhorn with a K. If you need a financial advisor, somebody to walk you through these tumultuous 2016 investment uh trends that we're looking at yeah, right now because January has been interesting and we're only midway through the month. All right, folks, want to thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel.